and contrast what the Abdelazer says with what we've said. And uh, then next week, assuming that we get through this, or even if we don't, possibly, uh, I want to do a uh, practical tshuva of Rav Moshe Feinstein, where he applies uh, all the sugya we've done. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, three levels. One level is, uh, this is just um, pure fun or frustration, depending on your personality, <laughs> is understanding how they, how they read the Yerushalmi. Uh, at the end of the day, I think we'll have an absolutely incredible array of ways of reading the Yerushalmi. Uh, then you have to decide if you think that the way we read it is, is more or less plausible than the ways in which the Adonaiser and Rav Moshe read it. Uh, second thing is, conceptually, how do they relate to the fundamental questions that we've been asking about the relationship between employment and slavery? And then a third question, uh, which, re which really gets in the first case for Rav Moshe, which is to figure out, so what would that look like if we tried to turn it into law? Um, and I hope that Ramosha will get us into a, um, the beginnings of the conversation that we need to have about the ways in which overall economic assumptions um, play, uh, play a role. And with the system, this is an idea that um, Michael Breit uh, taught me years ago in the name of, of um, Rabbi Rachman, and I thought it was, it was still a very powerful thing to me. So there was a debate in the Mishpat Ivri people, right, the people who try and translate uh, halacha into contemporary civil law in Israel. And so some of them, and the, the head of the, the, the chief proponent of this was Chief Justice Elon, thought that the goal was just to sneak as much halacha into the system as you could. And that's actually how the way the Israeli system is set up, that if you don't have British, Jordanian, whatever, whatever other legal systems you have, then you're entitled mm -hmm. to look to Jewish law for precedent in the secular system. And... Um, Rabbi Royden said that Rabbi Rackman had said, uh, I didn't see it, that, that assumed the halakha was just atomizable. You could just talk, take little pieces of it, and it was all, right, and whatever little piece of it, that's what you want, as opposed to thinking that it functioned as a whole. And when it functioned as a whole, it might be that certain parts of it, which are greatest part of the whole, create massive injustice, if, the, if, if, you, if, you, if you take part of it, not the whole. I thought that was a very powerful critique. Um, and therefore, things that worked really beautifully 50 years ago might not work now at all, because right, because something of the in the surrounding economic circumstances has changed. For example, the decline of unions. The decline of unions. Mm -hmm. Right. So, a part of halacha that might work beautifully in a system with very strong private sector unions might not work at all in a system where, where unions have where unions have where private sector unions. Have completely lost, uh, completely lost power. The nature of mm -hmm. corporations might radically change, and that might, right, and that might also change it. So I want to begin that conversation, um, and then we'll have to figure out whether the right way to explore it is to try and do other places where Rav Moshe addresses his conception of uh, of the way in which employment works. Uh, I'll just tip that for me, like the the most radical thing about Rav Moshe's conception for us is that Rav Moshe assumes that everybody is entitled to the job they have forever. Right? Rav Moshe says, in sense of job security. Yeah. He calls it chazaka, right? That you were in the job, right? And so this, that status quo continues. And much of Rav Moshe's, many of Rav Moshe's about employment are built on that premise, that if you have a job 
and the job is still there, right? So okay, what happens? that qualification, right? Right, right. The business right. still exists. Yeah, and the business still exists. So then you have a right to that job, and then, right, you're not a commodity. You're mm-hmm. not repl- right. You're not replaceable, and that's a huge assumption, which made a lot of sense in a certain right in in um, in American industry in the '40s and '50s, and it doesn't really work very well at all in an era of globalization. It doesn't describe the reality well. So I have to figure out right whether that has right whether that has impact on the way in which halacha is supposed to function when somebody comes and asks the shaila, let alone we're supposed to advocate for it. If we live in a radically different economic system, maybe we're supposed to oppose globalization. Right, that's the way of doing it. And we want to go back to a world of job security. It's Rabbi Sachs, Allah Shalom, occasionally would um, launch that critique of globalization that it was uh, too focused on on purely economic results and didn't consider the necessity that stability as a human good. It's a bit of a push me pull you right. I, like I, I read articles today about. Uh, the decline of labor unions in the U.S., bring up your example, and one argument is they've declined for economic reasons, for corruption reasons, there's manufacturing has disappeared, and another argument is that, well, they've been legislated out of existence. Uh, it, it was a decision rather than a reaction. Yeah, that's certainly. And so that it comes into play about, um, you know, would this concept, would the uh, concept of you know, guaranteed lifetime employment apply in a economic situation where there isn't guaranteed economic employment well <laughs> yeah I, I think that's right I, I mm-hmm. think I think you know you could have other you know questions which people have raised that um, that Rav Moshe constructed an economic system for a community that was largely working class mm-hmm. and we now have a you know certainly the Orthodox community is almost entirely professional and managerial class mm-hmm. and that has you know and the issue we have is not do we get paid our hourly wages, but do we have to pay hourly wages to our legal or illegal immigrant uh, caregivers? Mm-hmm. And that changes, right? And that changes you know, things also in terms of what the pressures are. So I hope we'll begin that conversation uh, when we look at Rav Moshe. Uh, we look at Rav Moshe, which I hope we will uh, get to do next week, and then we'll break for Pesach. Uh, okay, so the Abdenezer, right, so we are in the 18th century, I think. Um, is a uh, you know, work, uh, I think, you know, everyone agrees, of surpassing brilliance. Um, but Aldera uh, Chapilpul, right, he's, a, he's Hasidic, and he, right, he, he does the giant manipulation thing, what uh, Dr. Salvation called the giant clockwork theory of the Talmud, uh, where everyth- everything fits together, everything influences everything else, and not just conceptually. Um, and let's, let's, so let's, see what, let's see what he does with this. Right? He has a, a series of, uh, of chidu- what he calls chidushin, right? So this is Mechudash 1. Here's his one original thing, but there'll be several of them. Bedin po'al yilchol achzor, under the topic of the right of po'alim, as opposed to kablanim, right? The hourly workers for now, although he, he will offer um, conceptual definitions of kablan that will alternate con- conceptual definitions of kablan, um, right, who have the capacity, can't be held to specific performance. So he starts by quoting Ari Yushalmi. Right, Yushalmi, Alright, so Yerushalmi, which is addressing, he understands the specific line of the Mishnah which says that whoever, uh, whoever breaks the contract um, suffers, right, suffers whatever losses have been caused by changes in circumstance since the, right, since the contract was made, right, whoever, whoever backs out is, right, is treated, is, has their hand underneath when we're trying to figure out the, consequ- the consequences of breaching the contract. The Rav Amar Kilibre Yisrael Avadim, 
Um, and below Adim Lavadim is what we have in our Talmud, but in Yerushalmi it says, Ein Yisrael konin So Rav says that verse means that Jews can't acquire each other. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, the Ibrahim Atnita, and we talked at great length, right? What is what Amar Rabbi Yochanan is he is what is his relationship to Rav's statement, and what does he mean saying that the text is dealing with an Ebedivri since it's not? We're talking about right, we're talking about employees. And lastly, it says Matnita, which is a Brighta, and we're supposed to be talking about the Mishnah. Right, so we don't really know what Reveal Khan's relationship is. So here's what he says. So he thinks the prior commentaries have explained the Yerushalmi as follows. Rav believes that nothing has taken force. Okay, Kinyan is this magical thing in Halakha, right, that, you know, that somehow comes into being. Um, Rav thinks nothing happened. You spoke to each other, and then the agreement went as long as you wanted, and when the, when we, when the employee ceased to want the agreement to be enforced, it wasn't enforced. It never, it never happened. It doesn't even have to be retroactively undone. It just never happened. There is no such thing as a Kinyan. Uh, Rabbi Yochan Sabar, the Chala Kinyan, Lachzor. And Rabbi Yochan held, or this is the way the commentaries explain it, that in fact some kind of binding commitment has been reached, but, the, but that commitment is not binding on the employee. And so we treat employees as parallel to Jewish slaves who are allowed to buy their way out of contracts. Okay. That's what he thinks is the conventional way of understanding it. It's the way the Nesivos, Hamish, by the way, so explained it. And now the Avnezer blows everything up. So, just yes. to clarify, so Rabbi Yehuda is saying... Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan, sorry. Um, he's saying that essentially it goes together. The Yacholach Lerbal Yadoala Taktona is, you know, that he can get out of it. He can buy, he can get out of it, but he has to buy his, but he has to buy his way out. Yeah, it says that he has to buy his way out at what price? Yadoala Taktona, of course he has to buy his way out. The question is, but who benefits from inflation? And so this is, so the, Buying his way out is not necessarily parallel to uh, Yadol. No, not necessarily parallel. Okay. But then, according to Rav, when the Lochal Kinyan Klal, right? So, does he still, does he still have to deal with Kolachoser Bo Yadol Alatakhtona? There's some, some, something meaningful about that. So, I think the way he thinks the Nasibos understands it, which I think is correct in the Nasibos, is. According to Rav, nothing happened. There was no binding commitment. So we just evaluate, right? So it's reasonable that we evaluate the work at what is worth. Well, now you owe me some things. Now let's figure out what it's worth now. So it turns right. out to the advantage of the employee uh -huh. if, right, if, it, if, it, uh, if it went up. It's not because we rig it. It just turns out that way. Mm -hmm. And according to Rav Yochanan, no, right? You're bound by the, you're, right? Wh whoever backs out should be bound because there really was a commitment. It's just that the the worker has the right to back out, and maybe that will mean that the worker has the right to back out and not suffer, right? We, don't, right? we haven't disambiguated that yet. Okay. But he's going to blow everything up. He's going right, to draw an analogy that nobody else considered, and, right, and, we'll, and right, essentially, right, let's, he's going to go back to a question we asked at the very beginning, which is, are, contract, are labor contracts an ordinary part of halacha or not? And he's going to raise an analogy to ordinary commerce that nobody else has raised. Here's what he says. Utmihani, I am astonished at this interpretation of the Yerushalmi. In the, in the Gemara that we've been focusing on, our, our Talmud, the Babli, explains, according to Rav, they call Kama Delo Chazar, it's according to Rav, right? 
that as long as the worker hasn't backed out, Yodo Kiyad Balabai, he is considered to be the hand of the employer. And if he backs out, that's because of a special problem that the verse bans specific performance. But he says, hang on a sec. The Yerushalmi says that Rav believes that nothing happened, but the Babli says that Rav says that the employee is like the employer until he backs out. That means something happened. So he thinks that, right, that the Babli and the Yerushalmi versions of Rav contradict, and that bothers him a great deal. We pointed out that they might contradict, because right, the Babli says, right, and the Yerushalmi says, right, the Babli says no slavery, and the Yerushalmi says no acquisition at all. He takes this as his starting point, that this is really problematic. How can the Babli and the Yerushalmi present Rav differently on the fundamental question of whether anything actually happened because of the agreement? Now he draws an analogy. It seems to me the solution to this is found So here we have an analogy, right? I, right, I uh, rent a donkey from you, and the donkey dies halfway. Halfway? halfway. I rent a donkey from you right, to go to, to you know, I want to take, I want to take goods mm-hmm. from, right, from Boston to New York, and the donkey dies halfway. So he's going to claim that that's analogous to a worker quitting halfway. The donkey dying halfway. Because right here, I have now done, right, the, the renter of, the person who rented the donkey, the owner of the donkey, has now done half the work. And now what happens? Right, who, pays for, right, who, pay, who pays for what? That's, he's going to claim that's analogous to the worker uh, withdrawing, and that's going to be, which is not, obviously has nothing to do with labor. And he's going to build everything off around the ways in which that analogy works and doesn't work. The donkey's death is analogous to the worker quitting. Quitting. You've done half the contract, and now you're not. So, in a sense, the so is it the person who owns the donkey is the employee essentially has essentially, I mean, yeah. owns you know, but he's he's reneged on his commitment to provide a donkey for the entire trip. Yeah, that he's reneged. He has he, failed to fulfill. Right. Okay. Right, right, you, right, you made a deal, and right, and in the end, right, we made a deal, and in the end, you only provided half the services that you agreed to provide. Who's the renter? That that. So I think it's going to be that the person, the the owner of the donkey is the equivalent of the employee because they mm-hmm. provided half the services they were paid for, or that they were, that they that it was agreed that they would provide services for money, like the employee agrees they provide services for money, and now they only now they only provided half. Mm-hmm. So what's the right now? Let's assume, let's assume for the background that the, that the owner of the donkey has another donkey that they could provide. It's a rental car. It's a rental donkey yeah. company. It's a rental donkey company. Exactly right. Right. And we're right. assuming that the person who rented it is not overstressing the donkey. Yeah. We're assuming that it's normal use. It's, nor- it's normal, use, normal use. And there wouldn't be anything to pin liability on the renter. No. Uh... I'm used to thinking of the donkey dying in the context of, you know, Meta Mahmoud Malacha that right, he doesn't yeah. have to pay back for the fact that the donkey died. I guess I've never heard that Lacha discussed in terms of what does the donkey renter need to yes. have, have as his response. Right. And so uh, this is, let's watch what he says. He says, He says, 
Because what's happened if we didn't write the contract saying that if the donkey dies, the owner has to provide another donkey? So in principle, our contract is over. I, right? If you, provide, you provided a donkey. The, the, nothing in the contract said you had to write another donkey if this donkey died. The donkey died. Okay. But the Ron writes that even though nothing in the deal, the Kinyan, required a second donkey, Mikomakom, Yachol Hasucher, Lakev Latzmos, Harshel Katsiadere Halach, Adji Yiskor Lohachamor. The person, the person who is using the donkey, right, we'll call that the renter, right, is allowed to refuse to pay for the first half until he's provided a donkey for the second half. Right, that's, that, right, that's what the Ron says. Right? The donkey died, and okay, but the donkey carried you halfway. So what? The donkey carried you halfway? I'll pay you for the... When you, right, we, we had a deal for the whole way. When you provide a donkey for the whole way, I will pay you. I'll pay you for the first half too. I mean, this is completely analogous to renting a car. If you rent a car for a day and it breaks down halfway... They provide another one, right? You call them up and they'll probably give you right. another one. That's sort of the deal, because the promise is working car for 24 hours. Right, that's, so that's explicit in the deal. What he's saying now is it's not explicit in the deal. And, right, it's not, right, he does, the, the other guy doesn't have an obligation to provide another donkey, but I have the right not to pay until he does. And very careful. He doesn't think the other person... The other person chooses not to provide a donkey. I have no, per, no cause for complaint. Right, because who would rent a dead donkey? Or who would rent a... No, it's just like, again, this... I, I understand the difference between the requirement to provide a second donkey yeah. versus whether there's a requirement to make any payment at all right. for a, a donkey that, that didn't make it. They didn't make it. Well, you, if he provides a second donkey, then of course they have to pay for the first donkey because now it did its job. It got me halfway, the other donkey, right? So the guy provided the service. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now he's going to claim that this is analogous... All right, this is this is analogous to the worker, and therefore it follows that what should happen if a worker quits halfway is that the employer should be able to say, "Okay, you can quit, but I'm not going to pay you until you finish the job, or until someone finishes the job, or until you provide me with somebody who finishes yeah. the job." Okay, so in this analogy, the car company and the donkey together are the worker. Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, it, when you talk about labor markets, the, the employee is the seller. He's selling a service. And, you know, any economic mm-hmm. discussion of labor markets. Mm-hmm. Okay. So similarly here, you know, the, the vendor is the, is the only owner of the donkey who's providing it. Right. But so, so I think yeah. lining right. up that way, okay. so yeah, I, but, but, but more is... is so that itself works, but it just what's more surprising again is is here what you're saying is he wants he wants to say that the, the mm-hmm. labor contract is, is exactly is, right. If you hire me to clean your yard in springtime, and and in, in one pers- in one view I am then your employee to clean the yard, but halfway through I say forget it. I, I'm going to go sit by the pond because it's a lovely day. Whatever. Um, by this analogy, I did not fulfill my responsibility of getting the yard clean. Right. There's no half clean, two thirds clean. It's I didn't get it clean. It's an all or none deal. So I don't have to pay you. You have yeah. a right to stop. Right. I can't force you. Mm-hmm. You have a right to stop. 
Yeah, right, so that you're going to say, right? So, if, uh-huh. so what does Khalid Ben Yisrael Vadim do? All Khalid Ben Yisrael Vadim does is give you a right to stop. He doesn't understand uh-huh. if all Khalid Ben Yisrael does is give you a right to stop. But the Kenyan actually happened, which is how he reads Rav and the Babli, right? Rav and the Babli says that you really are the hand of, you really do become the hand of the employer, just as a verse that says that you can back out. So just because you can back out, why does that get you money? Uh-huh. Right? That's his claim, right? The, um, Right, the reference my earlier question, right? But this is that opinion on steroids. Yes. Right. That not only is he saying that it's Yadola Taktona, but he's interpreting Yadola Taktona to imply that not just you get the lesser amount of, you know, if the labor rates have changed, but that you get nothing. Exactly right. I'm sorry, my gang's here, but you don't have to pay me for the rest of the class. Yeah, and he thinks that uh, he thinks that's Rav's position, right? right? Rav says Poyochol loves Zorbo, but why should that get you? Why should that get you anything? Uh, okay, right. So the Hidi Yochol loves Zorshli Tzarek Labod. You can avoid specific performance. Let the employer hold on to the the, the, the salary for the work that's already been done. He's not fulfilling his 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 conditions. Right, so there's no Kenyan that can force me to do it, but there's also no Kenyan that can force me to pay for it. We had, right, we had a deal, you do this, I do that, you didn't do it, so I don't pay you. So, yeah. it's a little funny though, right, because this is specifically for a Poel who's paid by time, not by the job. Right, so can understand like, you know, so why is it that somebody gets paid by the time, right, that it's that time then, you know, a day becomes the indivisible unit of the time, right? I can understand with a a, soher, uh, a, a kaplan who's paid to do a job, he doesn't do the whole job, he didn't do the whole job. I think the way he's looking at it is... How do we understand the terms of the contract? If the contract was, was I'll pay you $5 per hour, that's fine. But if the contract was, I'll pay you $40 a day, so the assumption is that, right, say, we made the terms of the contract, the day. You could write the contract differently. So all, right, because once it's a regular contract, so then you can, write. so it's always, uh, it's always negotiable, and it's always, right, it's always stipulable. But the standard contract is, I, I set an amount of time, you set an amount of money, and that's our deal. Okay, so now it's... We're in Gimel now. So it's Ve'en Lamar Baseh. The Alfina Me'evet Ivri, the Yotzei Be'giron Kasev, Ve'en Sarech Lachazir Kol Demav. So we're not going to say, this is still within Rav. We're not going to say, hang on a sec, of course he gets part of the money because he's like because he's like an Evet Ivri. An Evet Ivri, get, right, Ivri um, right, gets to subtract the amount that they've already worked. And, doesn't, and we don't say, well, when you finish the six years of service, then you can go free. But if you, if you go for early, you have to repay me the entire amount of money, which is what the analogy would be if Ebed Ivri were just like a regular contract. We don't say that. Why? Chada, the Ebed Ivri kvar natan So one is, it's just not true. Ebed Ivri gets paid in advance, so you can't hold on to the money because you don't have it. The Ebed Ivri has the money, so it just doesn't work practically. Because the Ebed Ivri will actually be holding the money. The second possibility says is, the Ode... The Ebed Ivri who kesef mechira, afilu notan kvar nitchayev kol demav. The Ebed Ivri is a uh, is a sale, 
and sales are treated, right? The, the obligation for the, to pay the sale begins the moment that the transaction happens. Right? So I sold myself, you owe me all the money. His opinion is that the um, the uh, I forget what you know Karnowski is whatever, mm -hmm. but the the one who is we'll say the owner the owner yeah, versus the renter yes. that the the owner um, actually owes the the half money for the labor, but just that the laborer can't take it from him. Wouldn't that then run afoul of the law of not being allowed to hold on to... Right, so he's going to claim he doesn't owe the money yet. That's going to be the whole, the whole point here is going to claim that in a sale, a sale is, a, a sale, the obligation to pay begins the moment that the object, right, not, the object comes into your possession. So I bought a slave, you are now my slave, I owe you the money. You have an obligation to work now because you sold me, because you, you sold yourself to me for six years. But I have an obligation to pay you because I now I now possess you. Whereas he's going to say that in, that in in a in a in a, in, a, in a in an employment contract, the obligation to pay only comes at the completion of the contract. I don't owe the money the moment you start working. All right, that's his going to claim. Right, Mashen came b'sachir. This chiruso mishdalemet Even the Torah says you have to pay a sachir the same day. It doesn't say you have to pay in advance. Right? Only ever gets paid in advance. Um, so until the full contract is is complete, there is no obligation on the part of the employer to pay. Obviously, we're gonna have to adjust this in cases of onus, right? It's to figure out right, you know, what responsibility we'll have, we'll have to play some fancy games. But fundamentally, his claim is that in an employment deal, right? Not and there's no kidding here. That's the whole point, right? In an employment deal, the deal is when I finish working, you will pay me. And you haven't finished working, so I don't have to pay you. As opposed to in a sale, where what, what we say is what happened is, is that I agreed to exchange this for that, and I have that, so now you get this. Right, all you can do is, is argue, all you can do is try to argue retroactively to adjust the price, but you have to but you owe the money already. And, right, and a retroactive and retroactive undoing undoing doesn't change the fact that you had the debt. Just now there's a counter debt. Okay. So, um, right, he says, and according to this, we can um, write that. He says, this, right, that remember that the Ksosachoshin said that we use the analogy to Ebedizri to explain why, the, right, that a worker can, um, can get all the benefit of, um, of, right, all the benefit of inflation. And the Ksosachoshin said the reason for this is that we give the worker the advantages of an evidivri, right? that we adjust the, the economics in terms of inflation. He says that's just wrong. Because, uh, right, because you can't learn, there's no analogy between a pole and evidivri, because a pole is engaged in just a deal for work, and work is, and, and when it, the, a deal for work is paid at the end, and evidivri is paid at the beginning, so he thinks that that, that, whole, that whole theory goes out the window. Is that where you get the dollar? Right, 
מחויב לשלם לו הוצאות עליו. אז הוא Right, the contract. 
So what? It's talking about slaves. Bilchara uh, kasha. So if but if so if Rabbi really rejects Rav entirely, Right, so if that's the case, that he completely rejects so then labor contracts should be binding like every other contract, according to Rabbi And that should be the position of the Mishnah. The Mishnah rejects, the Mishnah's real position is that we, that the whole idea of is out. There's nothing special about labor contracts. That means labor contracts are binding just like sale contracts. So then what should happen? What should happen is that you should be able to compel specific performance on the part of the worker, and you should also be able to compel payment on the part of the employer, even if he no longer has work for you. So it's like a sale. And yet, even Rabbi Dosa only says that the Ad Paul al Tachtona, he doesn't say, right, he, do, he doesn't say that the, um, that, the, that the employer can compel the worker to provide specific performance, and he doesn't say that the employee can compel the employer to pay even if there is no work. So it seems like, it seems like even Rabbi Dosa thinks that there is some effect of Kili Bnei Yisrael Avadim, and that labor law, and that that somehow changes, moves labor law out of ordinary contract law. Even Rabbi Dosa. Um, Okay, so now, right, um, right, so that's, right, that's what he says in, um, right, he said that, that, this is talking about Poland, right, a couple of Kabbalim, right, we'll, we'll talk about other ways. He says, al king. so therefore, right, we're at the asterisk now in Hay. The last, the bottom asterisk of that page. al king pires rav limasnisin, the sphere limasnisin, the ain konin zed zeklal, the lochal hakinian klal. So therefore, when Rav explains the ex, when Rav says is he's not actually stating his own position. He's stating the position of Rabbi Dosa, which is the position of the Mishnah. So the solution to the contradiction between Rav and the Yerushalmi and the Rav and the Babli is that Rav and the Yerushalmi is explaining the position that disagrees with him, and Rav and the Babli is explaining his own position. Uh, what's, what, how does he explain it? He says that the, there, are, there, are, there are fundamentally two positions. Right? One position, everyone agrees that the verse Kilibin Yisrael Vadim separates labor law from other laws. But Rabbi Dosa's position is, the Mishnah's position, is what it does is it prevents specific performance, which leaves you, right, it, uh, what it does is that it leaves you that there's no contract, and there's no, what it does is it prevents all contracts from, from taking effect. Prevents all contracts from taking effect, okay, so there are no contracts, so now you're the one who backed out, so you get the so you suffer the penalty. Uh, right? You don't have to, we can't force you, right? So he says, right, I'll came to Israel, 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 the mission holds that employment contracts are not binding. Uh, right, so now it's just like a donkey case because nobody is obligated to, to anyone, obligated to anyone else. So it's going to turn out that what the Mishnah means by Yadol Tachtona, sorry, right, is going to be that in fact the right, in fact the employer can pay. 
the, le the lesser of two things. He can either pay what he agreed originally, or he can pay what the work was actually worth in the end. Because there's no contract. And there's no contract, right? And if we, if we think there was a that there's a, an implicit stipulation that he doesn't have to pay you until he's done, he wouldn't have to pay you anything. And if we think there's no implicit stipulation the way there is by donkeys, so then he can just pay you the lesser of the two. Isn't he saying here that he can told? He can be withheld? Yes, I'm not sure that he thinks that, because he said above that was just an implicit um, um, it could be it could it could it could be that he that he uh, that he means that or it could be I, I prefer to think that he just means you don't have to pay the contract the contracted amount. amount you can just pay what the, the worth of the work that was done like you should have to in the donkey if we didn't mm -hmm. if we didn't assume there was a stipulation mm -hmm. but the great movie's making he says of Rav leave it enough Shay the Rav himself Right, but Rav uh, himself holds that there is a contract, and therefore the, the employer was bound, and therefore the employee can't get less than the original contract. Because Rav himself thinks that the verse just teaches you, right, teaches you something, teaches you that you can't be bound, that employees can't be bound by the contract because that would be slavery. But the contract itself takes effect. Okay, so let's watch what, right, watch what he's done. Right? The first right thing, he tells you, but okay, take the whole Zekotati Derek Pilter. He liked his... This is a mechanical solution to the problem. So he's busy saying that it would have, this would have no practical halachic... <laughs> so I don't know, you know, it's a little early, like later in the 19th century, everybody starts writing, you know, starts writing on the covers of their books, all this is just Pilpul of Alma, it has no, has no halachic significance. Um... This may be more like Rav Moshe writing in the beginning of his trivial books. Nobody should learn anything halacha from these books, right? From this, because who am I? And besides, these are all these are all about specific cases, so nobody right. should learn general rules from them. But everyone does, right? And he knows that. So that's a problem, right? You know, wait, how so, seriously do you take it? So why does he write the disclaimer? Yeah, why does he do it? Right? So yeah, you could have fancy things. I think mostly it's just a matter of form. Mm -hmm. That to if you didn't write a disclaimer like that, then it would look arrogant. Mm -hmm. So you, right, so, right, so you don't uh, right, so you have to write a disclaimer like that. It's a customary if, modesty. And yeah, and it's the only way around. Because like, if you didn't write a disclaimer like that, then nobody would give you a locking weight because you're an arrogant person. <laughs> but because you are a, <laughs> because you you are the kind of modest person who says you should have a locking weight, now we can give you a locking weight. Is <laughs> uh, a version I often you know talk about how my first my first Facebook article I wrote. You Dati all over the place, but in my humble opinion, they made me take them out because they said you can only write that when you have a creative idea. <laughs> These are not creative ideas. <laughs> take them out. And so I learned that Laniu Dati, in my humble opinion, means I have a I have a creative idea. And Lule de Mistafina Mechavre, if I were not terrified of my colleagues, means I have a really, really, really creative idea. <laughs> uh, right? So all the, all the markers of humility become markers of arrogance. All the markers of arrogance become markers of humility. Right? You know, there's, there's a, it's, rhetoric is a complicated uh, endeavor. Humble bragging. Yeah, I think... I, I, I'm, I'm important enough that I can say... I am nothing. Take my words too soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know enough... Um, I think it's very hard to distinguish the Abdi Nazar in his 
modes of extreme seriousness of the Alton Desert and his modes of playfulness. I, I doubt we could tell the difference mm-hmm. in terms of what he's also right saying. Like, Tal, right? He does it's it's brilliant stuff. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he had like Graham Greene has right the Vice Lahabil, right? Divides his novels into uh, entertainments and serious books. <laughs> Uh-huh. But uh, the entertainments, off, you know, to us often seem more serious than the allegedly serious books. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't know how to take the the Jose Katati Derek I I don't think it's so unserious. Uh-huh. So let's watch what he did, right? So the, the, the cool thing for us, right? So how does he read the Yerushalmi? He reads the Yerushalmi, at least Rav, that Rav is explaining the Mishnah and not his own opinion. And thus we have no contradiction between Rav and the Yerushalmi and Rav and the Babli because, in fact, Rav and the Yerushalmi is not his own opinion. Uh, right and now we can then we can right now we're going to be able to say that Rav Yochanan, of course, is not arguing with Rav either. He's just arguing with Rav's explanation of the Mishnah. Right, and now everybody can agree, right? Because we managed to we managed to bracket the whole conversation uh, in the in the Yerushalmi, right? So that's a uh, that's a, right that's a very clever thing. Um, but you know, is that really true? That's not usually our presumption when people interpret a Mishnah. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's usually seen as like a desperate last measure when you claim right. You know, he just interpreted. He didn't really. He didn't, right, uh-huh. he didn't really mean it in his own position. Uh, he has, you know, he has introduced a um, a novel. There's a number of really, really important novel concepts, right? As to what, you, right? The difference between an obligation, which is right, an obligation which takes which well, which takes force at the very beginning of a transaction, an obligation that takes place at the end of a transaction, an obligation that doesn't take force ever but just sets the terms of an exchange, and an obligation. Which and, and an obligation which is not generated by the exchange at all, but just by the fact that there's something of value was given by A to B. Right, so he has all those he has all those categories playing in every right, in in in, in, in a in a regular labor contract, and that's very uh, right. That's that's a very that's a really interesting um, that's a really interesting move, which will play out in all sorts of ways. Will it play out the I don't know. Right, it doesn't tell you what you know how it would how it would play out play out the halacha because most of this was spent exploring. A, uh, exploring a position that he doesn't, you know, that we don't hold like, because we don't hold like Rabbi Joseph, probably. Well, that creates, you know, so now we get the rules of halacha, right? So normally the rule is we follow Stam Mishnah. Stam Mishnah follows Rabbi Joseph. That's the rule. On the other hand, normally the rule follows the majority against minority, Rabbi Joseph's minority opinion. Right? So we have conflicting rules of rule, rules of law. I don't know, what, uh, I don't know which way it would it would play out. Okay. Let's turn to a second effort. Right? That's probably we're, we're probably going to try and get somewhat through his through his second effort. As you can see, his second effort has uh, eighteen subsections, <laughs> so we may not get through all of it uh, this week. Because I already cut out you know, five or six of the eighteen. Okay. Right. So we hold the halacha like Rav. A poel can withdraw at midkain via do al ha'ayona, and when he withdraws. He has the economic advantage over the employer. The kablan, but a kablan was some other kind of worker than a poel. Hakozerbo yadol atachtona. He has the right to leave also, but he does not get the uh, he does not get the economic advantage. Upirish Rashi, the kablan eno evet elolatzno. Rashi explains the kablan. Why is a kablan different? Because a kablan is not subordinate to anyone else. Right, an employee. A time employee is subordinate to someone else, but a kablan is not subordinate to somebody else. They're, they are a slave to themselves. So he says, natural thing, right? So remember, he established last time that what Rav explained in the Yerushalmi was that even the positions which reject him agree that you can't compel specific performance. Mm-hmm. 
Even Rabbi Dosa, who rejected him, and rejected him both in Paul and Kabbalah, even Rabbi Dosa agrees that there is no ability to compel specific performance for anybody. So now he says, okay, if everybody, right, now we saw that in Tosfut, right? Tosfut said also that the, the whole dispute between Rabbi Dosa and the Rabbanon is only about uh, the, is only about whether it's Yodua HaLyon or Yodua HaTaptona, but everybody agrees to Tosfut that Kilibane Yisrael Avadim applies and creates an absolute ban on specific performance. So he says, I don't understand. If Rashi's right that the Kablan is an Evid for himself, why does, he, right, why does the verse apply to him? The verse says you can't be Avadim to somebody else. A Kablan is not an Evid to somebody else. So why should they have a right to withdraw ever? Right? Why shouldn't there be the capacity to compel specific performance on a Kablan? Okay, Vidata go to Asheris, he has a Rishon who says, so the Haggadah Sheri says that the truth is that if we envision, if we envision or construct a way in which there was actually some kind of, uh, right, some kind of actuality to the to the to the deal, right, an obligation was generated, there was a kinyan. Then, if you can if you can conceive of the Kabbalan as having entered into this deal. By a kinyan, then he would not, in fact, have a have a right have have a right to withdraw. Ella that ella malacha lo avid kinyan. Just the thing is that what this that we that Rabbi Dosa simply doesn't hold that starting that starting the job actually affects the kinyan. Unlike a sale, where transferring the goods mm-hmm. right effect, right creates the right creates a kinyan. Workers just nothing happens. When you right when you start working, so right so there's no counter thing. So he says, okay, lufize, tarich lavin lama balabayit hafazer beyudol taftono. If that's the case, that the explanation for why a kablan can be chazer is not that we have a special rule saying he can't be able to do performance because that would be slavery, but just an accident of there not being a kinyan. So then why does he right, why does he have the advantage when he withdraws? Right, the rule should right. Sorry, why, why does the employer? Sorry, why does the employer ever, if the employer withdraws, right? Even, even if the employer withdraws, why should he? Ever, why should the employer suffer? There's no deal. Right. That's right. There's nothing binding. Right. So, right. So what his claim is that Rashi proves too much. Right. Rashi says a kablan is not an evidence at all. If a kablan is not an evidence at all, then he should right. Then he should just run under normal contract rules. So Bishlam, um, Bishlam apoel chazer. And normal contract rules are that there are no contracts. Yeah, <laughs> unless you have a kinyan. Unless you have, uh, unless you have a kinyan. Okay, so he says, right? So how do we handle this? Uh, he says, opposed to apoel, I understand what happened. Is v'efsher the zemimela, kevan the poel nishtabed sheya yadol taftona, kishachazer garet. I should have the comma one later. Maybe it's just the principle of of equity that um, that if the poel is going to raise the poel suffers by withdrawing, so then it's reasonable that if that even if there's no kinyan, whichever party whichever party backs out is right is is suffers. But he has a much he has a much more radical idea. He says, "Oh yesh lomar, chachamim." Actually, no. The fact that the that the employer suffers for withdrawing is not because that is a normal consequence of law. It's a special rule we put in. 
וכמו שכתב בשידים מגבלת השם הרצבה, משום דהווה דבר האבד לפועלים, ומתחילה היה מצויים להשתכר ביותר עין שם. It's that there is, employees suffer an opportunity cost when they enter into this deal. They cannot be hired by somebody else. And so therefore, the sages put in an additional principle, which says that if the employer backs out, he, right, he suffers economically because he has done some kind of wrong to the employees. Okay, now let's watch what, let's watch what has... Wait, what, wait a minute. Yeah. How did that connect to what you said a second ago? So, the employee suffers. There is an opportunity cost. Right. Therefore, if the employer backs out, of the employer backs out, right. Therefore, the employer suffers. So the, let's watch. Let's watch what happens. First of all, we started the whole parak with this whole interesting conversation about what, right, about whether there are more, right, the moral obligations that occur when, it, right, when, it, right, when an employer tricks an employee into working, into working, and we said it's just a taromet, right? It's just a moral thing, and the question I asked was. But do we translate that into legislation? Right, do we just say it's a moral principle and that's it? We lead the system that way? Or does it say that it guides us? Right, so he makes the claim is no, it guides us. Right, that since in principle there's always a, an opportunity cost for employees when they agree to work for you. Therefore, if you back out, we decree that you suffer even though there's nothing in ordinary law that generates that. So we have to understand, like, he's willing, um, you know, you probably all know what epicycles, right? And they're not really fair to, not really fair to Ptolemy, but um, in, in Ptolemaic astronomy, right, so everything has to go in circles because circles are perfect, and so when they find observational evidence that seems to contradict, so you have to have, right, you have to have a circle going around, right, going around that circle, but it always, motion always has to be circular, and instead of looking at you, you're going like this and like this, no, you, you're in this circle and you move into this circle. And eventually, there's so many epicycles that it gets too complicated. That's usually the principle, right? That Thomas Kuhn doesn't agree with that, but let's take it mm-hmm. as a metaphor. That's the, that's the claim. So you can watch and see like, the, that the, um, the Avenezer is willing to put in lots of epicycles. He's willing to have the system, to, have, right, to adjust so the outcomes work, even though they're not coming from a, right, even though the law itself doesn't generate the outcomes it's supposed to. So we have the stipulation there, right, that distinguishes, right, we, that there's an implicit stipulation if you rent a donkey, and that stipulation doesn't exist by employees. Why not? Okay, and here he's going to claim, you know what? You're right, according to the normal laws, right, this is just normal law, and according to the normal laws, the employee, right, the employee should lose, but we just intervene. And we create new legislation based on morals. Mm-hmm. Right, so right, so it's a right, so it's a very, uh, it's a it's a it's a sort of jury rig system, which is what people can do because it all just has to fit. <laughs> right, it doesn't have to be clean. Right, conceptually. Right, so, so just at the end, we have to explain all the data. We have to have right, we have to have a we have to have an outcome that is co- an outcome that is coherent, even if the mechanisms that lead to it are chaotic. Mm-hmm. Right, so this is his, right, but it also tells us something, right? Because now we ask, well, how are we supposed to? Um, how are we supposed to predict the next stage of law? So the answer is, well, you know, predicting the next stage of law has two components. One is, what will the law produce? And the other is, what ought we to do? Because, right, because if you just extended the law, you'll end up with other cases where the, the outcome is wrong. 
Right? So it creates freedom in that sense, right? you know, because right? when you think about what should happen, what's, what should happen is rabbis are supposed to intervene when they see the system yielding injustice and change the law. Right? So, right? So there's a Let's lot assume of, that we have little justice meters walking around with us. It assumes yeah. that we do our best, right? Mm-hmm. We do our best. So, you know, the, the analogy to this, I would say, is that in um, Rav Herzog, the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel, has a book called the, A Halachic Constitution for the State of Israel, mm-hmm. in which he writes civil law, and he says the first thing we have to do is we have to make the following 10 or so takanot. And that's to be right. We have to, the things that we just, and, you know, easy ones, we have to say that women and non Shomer Shabbos people count as witnesses in, right, in, in financial matters in the same way that Shomer Shabbos people do. Because mm-hmm. you can't have a system that, that has jurisdiction over them and, firm, right, and permanently disadvantages them. It doesn't make any, right, that doesn't make any sense. That's not a reasonable system, right? And he has a whole set of things that you just look, if we want to make halakha apply, we have to change these things. How can you possibly do that, right? We don't, like, isn't halakha always justice? No, it's not justice for this world. It's justice... Right, halakha is justice for a world where it makes sense to, right, to cause to, to cause people consequences if they are not shomrei shabbat because that's a reasonable it's a reasonable expectation of behavior, but if it's not a reasonable expectation of behavior or it's not one of the norms of society, then you can't do it. Right, so that's right. So the Eliezer opens up the um, the way to do that. Okay, so I think that's where we'll break now. So we'll try and see where he where he um, we'll try and see next time, I guess. Uh, I think we should finish this, and then we can do Ramosha after Pesach. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see how we how we construct it. There will be a lot of epicycles, um, but in the end, there will also be a lot of moral statements. Right? That's the advantage of epicycles: is you can keep on, right? You can keep on putting morality in to right to fix the to fix the issues. Um, you already get the uh, right the amazing thing that he has completely um, he has completely sidelined the Yerushalmi as a statement about as a statement that anybody would think is law. Mm-hmm. And Shalmi is just the explanation of the position we don't pass <laughs> All right, so we'll see if he sustains it all the way through because he's going to end up having multiple options for everything and having multiple options. Right, each of those options will have to go go back because again, it's, we're doing pimples. Everything, right, everything has to tie together. So every time he changes one one factor, it reverberates all the way back, and he has to start from the beginning again mm-hmm. and figure out how that plays out. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Pretty more fun. <laughs> Uh, that was uh